just worthy. It's good to be in the house of God another morning, giving honor to my pastor for the opportunity to stand and proclaim the word of God. Amen. I just want to greet y'all in the in the name of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's looking for my family. I haven't seen them yet. It should be should be on their way. I like to acknowledge her first before I start, because she's she's my good thing. So I have to always give honor to her. So even in her absence, uh, still have to. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you just have your way. You know what your people are standing in need of. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak a word to us individually, that you will speak a word to us collectively. Lord, I pray that you'll just manifest yourself in this place. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Help us, Lord, to, to be moved from our place of comfort to a place where we surrender our all to you. Have your way. Have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning I'll be reading from um, Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. And it reads thus in our hearing. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein, and he looked for it that, he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could I, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up and break down the walls thereof, and it shall be trotted down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be 
pruned nor dig, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that there rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the man of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. From this passage of scripture, I want to speak for a brief moment on the topic. There is no exemption from accountability. There is no exemption from accountability. As much as you might not want it, there is no <laughs> exemption from it. And I believe that some most of our, most most of the times we wish we were exempt from the accountability that comes with who we are. The accountability that comes with what God has done. But there is none. There is no exemption from accountability. This text is very unique in a way. Have you ever listened to a song that went bad halfway through? <laughs> Have you ever listened to a, a love song that started out expressing its love towards someone and then halfway through the song, it begins to hear a sour note? This is what is happening in this text. What happened as a love song seems to have transitioned into something sad, something sour, halfway through the song. Isaiah is the son of Amos. He's often referred to as the evangelist of the prophets. He's often referred to as the prince of the Old Testament, the, the Paul of the Old Testament. Here he is. Speaking of God, he is, so he is speaking as Elohim, God the creator, and he's rendering a song to his well-beloved who is Christ before he became flesh. So he is singing the song to his well-beloved about his vineyard, but in this song, the Lord is depicted as a former. He is using a farmer to illustrate the nurturing characteristics of the Lord towards his people. The farmer, there's something about the farmer that the farmer has a, has a unique eye. There is something that the farmer sees in a soil, in a ground that the natural eye doesn't see. So, 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 so God sees that even with us, God sees some things that the natural eye 
can see. I hear Marvin Sapp say, he saw the best in me. We're talking about God, this farmer who have this eye to see things that is beyond the natural limit. He said, when everyone is around could only see the worst in me, God saw the best. But but, but this text tells us that he joyfully prepares the place. And I do believe that the, the, the start of this song is when he is in that preparation mode. When he is preparing the, the, the saw, when he is fencing the property, when he is removing the stone, when he is planting the, the vine, because in his toiling there is a sweet expectation. Because he know of the potential of what he's about to plant in this soil. So while he is toiling, while he is working, while he is preparing, there is some excitement about the fruits that it expected to come from the vine that he is planting if the vine produces what it has, was meant to produce. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It tells us that not only did he plant, but he takes a step further. He expresses his faith when he began to build this wine press. He began to build this tower. So not only did he plant the vineyard, he is making preparation for the harvest. From, 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 from the vineyard. And I want to tell you this morning that when God makes an investment, he's expecting a return. When God makes an investment, he is expecting a return. Genesis, Genesis, we see in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. He told them, he said, be fruitful. And multiply. After he had made his, invest, his investment. In Matthew 28 verse 19, we see him say, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. After he has made his investment. We see in Galatians 5, he tells us that the fruits of the Spirit... The fruits of the spirit. God invests his spirit within us with an expectation that there would be a return. He expects the seed of the spirit to produce fruits. So he leaves us not guessing as to what these fruits are like. So he tells us that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. He gives us a description that we may evaluate ourselves. 
so we can tell whether or not we are producing a return on his investment. But I see in Matthew 25, 14, verse 16, he tells us that for the kingdom of heaven is like unto. And he tells us about how he invests. He said to one, he gave five talents. And so on. And to the, to the last one, he gave one talent. But it also tells us that he came back. And when he came back, there was an accountability to what he has given. So the one with the five said, Master, lo, you're five. I have gained another five. And he said, Thou good and faithful servant. But he also tells us of the one who said, Master, here is your one. Master, what you have invested in me, I have no return on your investment. And what did he say to the one? He said, thou wicked servant. You know that when I invest, I'm looking for a return on my investment. But even in knowing that you refuse to use what I have given you, that there might be a return on my investment. And, and, and I tell you, that is what we often do with God. God has invested everything in us. And, and at times we forget that we are accountable to him for what he has given us. When you work, when you go to work, and you toil a week, some people two weeks, what happens if you don't get that paycheck that you were anticipating? And let, let, let's add a little bit more to it. It didn't happen once. It didn't happen twice. It didn't happen thrice. It's keep on How would you react? How would you respond to what you were anticipating after you had put in the work? How would you respond? So in this text we see that this is a place where God finds himself. That he had invested. He was singing with the excitement of the possibility before it was halted by reality. God expresses his disappointment, his frustration, when he asks the question, what more could I have done that I haven't already done? What more? what more 
I showed up every day. I was never late. I was always on time. I didn't idle on the job. I did what you hired me to do. And I haven't received anything. I haven't received the reward. I haven't received an honest day wages for the honest day pay. And this is the place where God finds himself after all that he has done. He brought them out of bondage. He placed them in a place that was already fruitful, a place that they had everything that they need. And when he expected a return on his investment, there was no There was none. There was no return. The text said he chose the place. He, he, he fenced it in. He, a protective hedge. Didn't God save you? Isn't he protecting you? It tells us that he removed the stones. He removed everything that made fruitfulness impossible. So God gave you the spirit of that good vine, of that choicest vine. There is no vine better than what he has planted. So God has given us his, his spirit. He planted within us the best option. There is nothing better than the spirit that he has given to you. That is what God has done. But I want to tell you this morning that it is not just Israel. Even though the text is speaking of Israel, it is not just Israel. What God has done for you, what God has done for me, he is expecting a return on his investment. I don't know about you, but I was sinking deep in sin. I was far from the peaceful shore. I know I was down in the miry clay. I know he lifted me up. And he planted my feet on the king's highway. And if you are a believer, if you are a child of God, God has done the same for you. And he is expecting a return on his investment. I, I know sometimes we, 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 we tend to think that when we think about the children of Israel, that after all that they have seen, they have seen the miracles after miracles, and still they refuse to give God the glory. But I want to tell you this morning that the greater work has been actually been done in you. The, the greater work has been done in me. The greater work has been done in us. Because even though they see all these miracles, the change was not on the inside. And that what God has done for us when he has placed his spirit in our hearts. 
That is the greatest miracle there could ever be. So what they see is not greater than what he did. So if we say, then why didn't they? Why didn't they obey God after everything that they have seen? My question is, why don't we <laughs> obey God after all that he has done for us? We're talking about new heart. But we sometimes try to move away from the accountability that comes with being who we are. I mean, I, I, it doesn't matter what life throws at you. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter the situation. We are not exempt from what he is expecting. He doesn't let us off. Because at the end of the day, what the righteousness of God demands, his judgment will have to execute. We don't get off scotch-free. I know that there are grace. And, and, and a lot of time we spend a whole lot of time relying on grace. Grace is a wonderful thing. If it wasn't for grace, none of us would still be here. But at the end of the day, what he has given us, he is still going to hold us accountable for it. We have the responsibility. And it doesn't matter who gets on your nerves. It doesn't matter who don't like you. It doesn't matter who rub you the wrong way. It doesn't, none of that matter. You have an accountability to God for what he has done in you. So he tells us that he will take away the, the edge. He will take away the, this, this protective barrier that he has placed around them. But judgment is not to be understood as God needs to punish or to get even with sinful people. But judgment is a set of destructive consequences that results from people's own choice. <laughs> Judgment is not to be understood as God's way of getting back or getting e even with disobedient or sinful people. But it is the consequences of choices that we make. God is not wasting time like, okay, I'm going to judge you for this. I'm going to judge you for that. But what he has done is that there are things that is set in motion. And it is activated by the choice that we make. 
Look at what he said. He said, I lay before you a blessing and a curse. And you choose which ones come, which one come your way. Not only did he, did he, he say that, he said, I call heaven and earth as a witness against you. That means that even heaven and earth is under order. <laughs> that it can't help but to respond to the choices that we've made. So God is not trying to get even by, by judging, but it's judgment happen as a result of the choices we make. You see, God is a patient God. He is long-suffering. But, but, but sooner or later, there comes a time when judgment have to be executed. Hebrew chapter 10 verse 31 tells us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So you can play with this thing all you want. But when you fall into the hands of the living God. You can play and think that I'm getting away, I'm getting off scotch free, but eventually you're going to fall into the hands of a living God. Sooner or later. There is no escaping it. There is a reward for our actions. There is a reward for our choices. So the, 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 the time to, to, to point fingers and to place blame needs to be thrown out the window. There is no place for that. I am responsible for me. I am responsible for what I do. I am going to be held accountable for me. I am going to be held accountable for what I do. It doesn't matter how they didn't invite me into their clique. It doesn't matter how much they talked about me. It doesn't matter how much they don't like me. At the end of the day, I'm going to be held accountable for what I do. So you can take your time and blame somebody as much as you want to. It really not going to do you any good when it comes to God. Because he's going to say, I place within you everything that you need to be all that I have called you to be. He said, I chose you. I did the work. I removed from you everything that was in the way of you producing fruit. And I have planted in you the best of the best. And I have an expectation 
that one day I will reap the harvest from my labor. You know, you know, you know what this tells me? This tells me advantage believers. Advantage Christians. Advantage children of God. He didn't just send you out there. He prepared everything. He, re he removed everything. There was a there was a stone here, and I know that if I plant her or him here, that this stone will get in the way of what I'm trying to produce out of them. So what I'm going to do before I even plant them, I'm going to remove this stone that when I plant them in this place, there is nothing here that can hinder them if they want to be fruitful. There is nothing in this place that is hindering them from being fruitful if they want to be fruitful. Our fruitfulness is placed within our own hands. Our fruitfulness is placed within our own hands. God has set us up for success. Success to the highest degree. Success to the highest level. God has set us up for victory. God has set so how do we ensure that we produce good fruits? Jesus gave us the blueprint in John chapter 15 and verse 5. He gives us the blueprint. Look at what he said. He said, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. And if you want to produce fruits, if you want to be fruitful, all you have to do is abide in me. As long as you abide in me, in I, in you, there is nothing that can stop you from being fruitful. It doesn't matter what comes up against you because he said on this rock, on the truth of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell can never prevail against it. Though it may rise up against it, though it may come up against it, but if you abide, in me <laughs> and I in you oh you'll be a fruitful vineyard oh you'll be a fruitful child you'll be a fruitful believer if you abide 
in him and allow him to abide. See, God will save you. God will live through you. But God won't live for you. You have to live. He will save you. He will live through you if you allow him to live through you. Remember Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It's, known that it's no longer I that live, but Christ that live in me. So he will live through you. But he won't live for you. He has set you up. He has blessed you. He has made everything possible. And he wants us to choose to abide in him. Choose to allow him to abide in us. That we may be all that he has called us to be. All, 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 all the toiling. The, the, the joy of, of, of going through the, the, the preparation and knowing the potential that this seed, this, this vine, knowing what he can produce. And he was excited about it that he bursted out into singing. He's working and you're singing and you're humming along and there is so much joy because you know what's coming down the road. So his excitement, his joy is halted by what we refuse to do. So I know it's, it's the end of the year. We are going into a new year, but... My thing, my, I challenge you today to remember, to remind yourself that there is no exemption from accountability. There is no exemption. It doesn't matter how the world go crazy. He tells you that you are not of this world. So there is no exemption. There is no excuse. It doesn't matter how much you can rationalize it and this makes sense. All that doesn't, there is still that accountability that we can get away from. So might as well we just make it up in our minds that for Christ I live, for Christ I die. I'm going to let him have his way because I want to be fruitful in the kingdom of God. There is no exemption from accountability. Wow.